Good evening. We have come to worship the Lord here as he calls us from Psalm 99. The Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim. Let the earth quake. The Lord is great in Zion. He is exalted over all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is he. The king in his might loves justice. You have established equity. You have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Exalt the Lord our God. Worship at his footstool. Holy is he. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we have come to behold the marvelous works of our God and to ascribe praise and honor to your holy name. We give you glory and ascribe greatness to you, O Lord, that you have shown us your grace and mercy and called us to yourself through our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the sight of your holiness and your majesty that we've received by your word and spirit and ask that you would fill us with affection and warmth tonight that we may gather and sing your praise, that we may see it proclaimed in the scriptures, that we may behold our Lord Jesus in the table and draw close to him by faith. Come and help us, Holy Spirit, that you may be praised and that we may be edified. O Lord, we pray for your glory and in the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.
Take your hymnals in hand, open to 203. Let's stand and sing, Heart the Herald Angels Sing. Please be seated. Take your bulletins and turn them over on the back. You'll see our unison reading tonight taken from the latter verses of Colossians chapter 1. Colossians 1 is, is one of those places we see in Paul so often when he writes that he, he, he's written to the Colossians and sort of makes reference to the gospel and gets so taken up with the content of it that he just starts going on and on about the glories of Christ um, you see him do this in other places in Ephesians 3 and 4 and, and Romans 11. And Colossians 1 is one of these places where he writes to us about Christ, uh, the Son of God. So we're going to read this together, um, Colossians 1, 15 through 20. Join me. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth visible and invisible, 
whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Amen. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of our God endures forever. Let's stand together and sing again, this time 211, God rest you married gentlemen. Let's stand and praise the Lord.
please be seated. I'm going to read now from Luke chapter 2. You know, you've probably thought of it before, but significant to point out that the Gospels, the stories of, of, the, of the arrival of Jesus Christ are placed at the beginning of the New Testament because they are the answer to the Old Testament, right? God continued to promise that he'd send a redeemer to his people, and the Gospels placed at the beginning of the New Testament answer that longing question, how will God save? Well, he will save through the Lord Jesus Christ. So listen as I read from Luke 2, verses 1 through 20, the account of the birth of Christ and the announcement to the shepherds by the angels. This is the word of the Lord. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard as it has been told them. Amen. May God add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his holy word.
Thank you for all that provided the special music for us tonight. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Hebrews chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 3, and then to John chapter 1, 1 through 14. We have been in Hebrews, and when I did Hebrews 1, 1 and 3 early on, I thought I want to revisit and say some more about that at Christmas, and so we are back here again. Hebrews 1. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom he made the universe. And the Son is the exact radiance of the Father's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Then go to John chapter 1, 1 through 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. And, the war, and he was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but they did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of a human decision, nor a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only, the one who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. God's Word to God's people. Let's pray together. Father, we're so grateful that we can gather together around Your Word, sit underneath its teaching, marvel at how good You are to send us Your Son to be our Savior, how miraculous it is that your son was born of a virgin, was fully God and fully man all at the same time. One that offered us light and was rejected. May we receive the light and have life in it tonight. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. I love Christmas hymns. I mean, I like all of them. Hark the herald, angels sing, joy to the world. It came upon a midnight clear, angels we have heard on high. I'll even sing, we three kings of Orion are. Although we know not whether there are three or kings, but it's still a great hymn. But the hymn that I've been meditating on this year has been, What Child Is This? What Child Is This? It's an English hymn, English carol, written by William Dix. And in this hymn, he asks the question, What child is this whose Mary's lap is sleeping? 
And then he answers it. It's a simple question. It's a short question, but it has a profound answer. Who is this child? And you go to Scripture to find out who that child is, and you find many different answers. You find most of the answers given by the angel. The angel comes to Joseph and says, The woman that you're about to marry is with child. Don't be afraid to take her as your wife. And by the way, call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. That baby is in the manger is God with us. And then he goes on and tells Joseph, And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The angels go on to the shepherds. And out in the field they appear before the shepherds, and there's an army of angels. And they talk about peace in the world. But they talk about, Unto you this day in the city of David is born a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This is your Savior. And you can go back into the history of the prophets, and you can talk about Isaiah not only prophesied this baby would be a virgin, this baby would be Emmanuel, but this baby would be the wonderful counselor, the Almighty God, the everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. But I would Hebrews answer that question, what child is this who lies in the manger? And he gives you seven answers or seven titles. So I just want to alert you, this is a seven-point sermon on Christmas Eve that might go to New Year's Eve. No, just kidding. But when you look at this passage in Hebrews, the basic thing it says is Jesus is God's final word. The hymn writer says, What more can he say than to you he has said, to you who to Jesus for refuge have fled? In days past, God spoke to us in various ways. He spoke to us through thunder and lightning and storms and droughts and earthquakes, through donkeys, through angels and dreams and visions. But in these last days, meaning the days between Christ's first coming and His second coming, in these last days, He's spoken to us in His Son. He doesn't say He's speaking to you these promises through His Son, although He will do that. He's saying He's speaking to us in His Son. By His Son showing up, He says something. We call that incarnational ministry. By being there in the flesh says something. People tell me all the time, I don't know what to do or what to say when I go to see somebody at the funeral home or in the nursing home or in the, or in the uh, lonely places of their life. And I will say, you don't have to say nothing. You say it all by showing up, just being in the flesh and in the room. You think of John exactly when you read this passage. John knows what we're talking about because John says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He's talking about the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. There was a atheist and he was arguing the point that God could not speak to man the distance was so great between God the creator and man the creature that it was impossible if that God existed to communicate 
He says it's like Hamlet understanding Shakespeare. And then he began to think, well, Shakespeare could write himself into Hamlet in a play. And Shakespeare could reveal himself to Hamlet in an act or two. And then he, the lights went on. God can write himself into our story by becoming in the flesh. That God enters into our story and he's born into our world and he experiences our pain, our frustration. He experiences temptation and all the betrayal and denials and everything. He enters into the story of our life so that he might save us. God speaks to us in his son. In Hebrews it says, the son is, who is this baby? This baby is the heir of all things. I have pondered all week about what to say about the heir of all things. And I was kind of rehearsing it with Sarah the other morning. I hate to bring her into the sermon. No, I don't hate to. But anyway, uh, I said, I don't really know what to say. She said, what are you going to say? And I go, well, I'll think about it when I get there. But anyway, when you think about an heir, you think about somebody dying, bequeathing something leaving something you're on the wrong track because god doesn't die but the heir means that because he belongs to the father he's the only begotten of the father he's the beloved of the father he's with the father of, from all eternity and because he is one with the father all that the father has is his all the time and you begin to think, when did Jesus inherit this? And theologians really ponder and say, did he inherit it in the beginning of the world when all things were made and all things were given to him? Was that his inheritance? Was it when he was ascended in high and he sat on the throne? And, uh, and in Psalm 2 it says, ask of me and I'll give the nations as your inheritance. Was it that time when he was enthroned in heaven? Or is it when he comes in glory and every knee shall bow and every tongue confess? And one great theologian says what we have to do is we have to leave our questions of apprehension and go to our songs of admiration. That Jesus is the heir of all things. He's the creator and the sustainer of all things. All things in heaven and on earth were made by him visible and invisible rulers and powers and principalities everything was made by god that's the reason we read colossians 1 paul probably wrote that and the church probably used that as some kind of creed or some kind of doctrinal statement about what they believed. but what they believed was this is that jesus was the creator and by the power of his word the whole universe came into being not just this world the whole universe Anybody heard of the guy by the name of Stephen Hawkins? He was a brilliant man, though foolish in theology. And he wrote this uh, book called A Brief History of Time. And he talked about how big our world is. And I'm doing this not to impress you with the numbers, but to overwhelm you with how big your God really is. In the brief history of time, our galaxy is the average-sized galaxy that looks to all other galaxies like a pastry roll 
and is over 100,000 light years across, which most of you know is 600 trillion miles. He goes on to say, we know that our galaxy is one of 100 million galaxies that we can see through modern telescopes, and each galaxy itself contains 100,000 million, 100,000 million stars. It is commonly held that the average distance between those galaxies is 100,000 million light years apart. On top of that, based on the Doppler effect, it has been shown that all red spectrum galaxies are moving away from us, and nearly all galaxies are red. Thus, the universe is constantly expanding, and some estimate that the most distant galaxy is 8 billion light years away, and it's racing away from us at a 200 million miles per hour speed. And I begin to wonder, our God spoke all that is and all that ever will be into existence. And you know what Stephen Hawkins' conclusion was after coming to all of that largeness? He said that human man is a scum on planet Earth, an average-sized planet in an average galaxy. I think David came to a different conclusion. David says when you consider the stars, the work of God's hand, you begin to wonder, what is man? that you're mindful of him, and the son of man, that you care for him. You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and splendor. We're not scum. We're made in the image of God. And Jesus made us, and he sustains us. He is the gravity of the universe. He is the one who is the glue that holds everything together. Not that he doesn't use laws. Uh, too many scientists in here know about laws that I've forgotten in my brief science classes. But those laws just reveal the majestic wonder of God's sustaining power in the world. Who is that baby? He's heir of all things, the creator of all things, the sustainer of all things. He's the radiance of God's glory. I think it's important that you understand that word to be radiance of God's glory, not the reflection of God's glory. That when you talk about a reflection, you talk about the moon. The moon has no light. It illuminates nothing by in and of itself. Moses had no illumination in him. What he did was after he spent time on the mountain with God, he, he absorbed the, the rays of God's glory somehow, and he glowed, but the glow was a reflection. Jesus was the radiance of God's glory. Why? Because he had glory in and of himself. And you behold the glory of God in the face of Christ. In that manger, in that scene in Bethlehem, was somebody who was glorious as God because he was God. He didn't glow like some artists have. There was no halo around his head. There was no little warm, you know, glow from the, the manger scene. Only one time in history, one time that we know of, that the veil, veiled in flesh the Godhead, see, one time that veil fell apart on the Mount of Transfiguration, and they saw the glory of God. And Peter wanted to stay there forever. Jesus 
is the radiance of God's glory. You see God in the face of Christ. Jesus is the heir of all things, the creator and sustainer. He's the radiance of God's glory. He's the exact representation of the Father. The word there is the word character. You know, when we talk about character, we're using it in a very modernized sense. Uh, some of you who are old like I am uh, learned how to type on a typewriter, a manual typewriter. You remember that? You know, I can remember the J-U-J space. J-U-J. Did y'all do that? And uh, Sarah had this, Sarah, the reason I started dating Sarah, she had a typewriter. But anyway, she had this big black typewriter, and uh, it was a manual typewriter. It had, you know, a little ribbon, and you hit the J, and that J hits the ink and makes a mark on the paper. But not only does it make a mark on the paper, it makes a impression. And when you finish your paper, you can feel on the other side it's rough, it's not smooth because it's made an impression, an indention. That's where, where character comes from, and it's developed to mean we make an impression when we're around people. We have good character. The other idea that the word is used, it talks about uh, the a coin. You take a wax seal, and the king takes his signet ring, and he presses down on that hot wax and it makes an exact representation of his ring. Or when they made coins, they'd take the emperor's image and they'd take a die and they would print out the coins with the exact representation. Jesus was the exact representation of his Father. All the attributes of God are seen in Christ. And that's the reason when the disciples said, Show us the Father. Jesus said, If you've seen me, You've seen the Father. One Anglican theologian said, there's no unchristlikeness in God. It's amazing. And then he says, he purified us from our sin. You know, the image of sin is varied in the Bible. Uh, we, you know, we say the Lord's Prayer and we have various denominations that have different differences of sin even in the Lord's Prayer. Some of us are debtors and some of us are trespassers. Sin is a debt you owe. Sin's a line you cross over. But in this idea of purification for sin, sin is dirt or filth. And you cannot go into the presence of an almighty God that's fully holy, triune holy, 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 holy is the Lord God of hosts. You have to be washed. There's a great story in Zechariah chapter 3 about uh, Joshua the high priest. And Joshua the high priest is going in before God. And he's got on a dirty robe. And the devil is standing by him and pointing out that he has this dirty robe on. And you can't go into the presence of God. Kind of You can't go in the presence of God with, with that dirty robe. And what God does, he takes that dirty robe off and he puts a clean robe on him. And it doesn't take an exegetical genius to understand what God is portraying is that, is that when we come to Christ, he washes all of our sins away. He takes our sins away by the power of his blood. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. 
Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And once he has cleansed us, he clothes us with righteousness so that we go before God as if we were the Son of God. Because we are now joint heirs with Christ. And then he sat down at the right hand of God. He sat down because he was finished. The work of paying for our sin was over. Hell had been endured. Separation of God had been felt. He was finished. There's nothing for us to do save believe. But there's another thing that he did. He sat at the right hand of God and he reigns. Reigns forever. I've pondered this week about what child is this. And I think as the week has gone on, uh, my idea about God has gotten bigger. You know, Luther wrote his friend and I get, not his opponent, but really kind of his opponent, Erasmus. And he told Erasmus his major problem was, your God is too human. And we need a big God. And we have a big God. In C.S. Lewis Chronicles of Narnia, Lucy finally gets into the presence of Aslan, and Aslan is the, is the lion that's the Christ figure. And she snuggles up between his paws and she has her head in his, in his mane and she says, you're bigger than I remember last time. He says, no, I'm not. She said, you seem bigger. And he says, as you grow older, you find me bigger. See, we don't stay put in our understanding of God. Eternity will be ever expanding our knowledge and our admiration and our worship of God. We'll never understand all of God. I was listening to a, I think this was before podcast. That's how old this was. It was an interview on the radio that ended up being in print on First Prez's website in Jackson. And they were discussing hymns. And they discussed this week, uh, what child is this? And they talked about the tune, which is green sleeves, which means nothing to me, but uh, it's a very beautiful tune to the setting and how familiar it was and all of that. And they talked about how uh, it became so popular because of the melody and everything. And they talked about the, how they love this hymn for three reasons. One was for its great humility. It didn't romanticize the manger. It has Jesus born among the oxen and asses in a dirty manger and a stable. It's a humble presentation of our great God. It goes immediately to the cross. It doesn't stay in that little bitty manger. It doesn't grow up into a little childhood. It runs immediately to the cross. Nails and spears will will pass him through. And then it's evangelistic. In that it says, come peasant king to own him. You see, he's the king. 
He's the King of glory. Who is he in yonder stall, at whose feet the shepherds fall? Who is he in deep distress, fasting in the wilderness? Tis the Lord, O glorious story. Tis the Lord, the King of glory. At his feet we humbly fall. Crown him, crown him, Lord of all. Let's pray together. Father, we are like Lucy in that allegory of, uh, about Aslan. Our image of you is bigger and bigger. Uh, we cannot comprehend with our finite man what is infinite. Your ways are beyond our ways and your thoughts are beyond our thoughts, beyond our understanding. And yet you have revealed yourself not only on a printed page, you've not only made an impression on a page, you've made an impression in a person of the Lord Jesus Christ who became flesh and became your word to us of salvation, redemption, and hope. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. We're going to sing What Child Is This? We'll sing verses 1 and 2. We'll celebrate communion. Then we'll celebrate, uh, sing verse 3. What child is this? 213.
God goes with his people. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with every good thing for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Grace be with you all. Amen.